You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker, we have Alex Eckleberry, technology CEO with an extensive background in senior technology leadership with private venture and private equity backed and publicly traded companies. And also Alex is a board member of multiple successful startups. So today we'll mainly focus on the board members and specifically, you know, how to build the board of the startup. What does it even mean to have a board in your company? What does the board do? What kind of decisions can it make? How important it is? And so on and so forth. So Alex, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on one of the companies from your past. It's your choice. All right. Well, first of all, Constantine, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's really, uh, I'm very excited to do it. Uh, you know, so my background is I, I started my career in Silicon Valley in the late 80s. I went through um, a number of different companies um, in the technology space. Um, you know, went, went through my first uh, IPO uh, in the early 90s, which I was a part of uh, a company that went public called Quarterdeck, which is now uh, part of Symantec and also WebEx. And then later on, you know, uh, went to the went to the startup world in the late '90s with a company that got acquired by OnTrack Data, which is a company in the Midwest that does uh, data recovery solutions. And then throughout the 2000s, ran a company called Sunbelt Software, which I exited to um, a venture firm, uh, Insight Venture Partners. Um, you know, I, I, and and since then, I mean, uh, you know, I've done I've done a lot of work on uh, the board side and also the uh, Board of advisors side, so both board of directors, board of advisors, two different things. But I've done a lot of work on both sides. Um, you know, incidentally, I did spend a couple of years uh, in the early two thousands as a uh, venture investor, um, and actually worked as a professional venture investor for a fairly well sized um, investment fund. So uh, it was actually a hedge fund, and we had a venture capital unit, a company called uh, Bulldog Capital. So. I've got experience on uh, in the investor side. I've got experience on the operating side, but I got to tell you, I consider myself uh, I'm a much more of an operator and a friend and ally to uh, to startups and and entrepreneurs. Uh, this is the area I love. I love seeing companies grow and expand, and uh, and it's 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 something that just gives me tremendous energy to see you know uh, something take off you know from a seed all the way to a full grown uh, operation. It's super exciting. Right, that's very true. That's why people really go into the startup world. Okay, at least one of the reasons why people go into the startup world. But anyways, here, let's move on straight to the major topic of today's discussion, which is boards at the startup. You are the board member of multiple startups and you were the board member of multiple successful startups in the past. So as a board member, what do you do? Well, so my first uh, board position that was uh, independent as, as opposed to, you know, um, just you know, I was of course a CEO of a company, and although not, you're not necessarily a board member as a CEO, it's it's a, just a different thing when you come in as an independent to be part of a company's board. And the first one was a company called Blue Stripe Software in um, in North Carolina, and they were just an incredible group of technologists that just needed some assistance on the go-to-market side. Um, just a, a great company, great people. 
Uh, in that case, I was brought in by the investors to to become an independent board member. Um, I was actually brought in to, to originally help the company, but then that conversation turned into from the company's side, hey, why don't you join our board? Um, and that was uh, so energizing because I got to work with a lot of really smart people and I got to help them uh, in any way that I could to expand their their market presence. Ultimately, the company got acquired by Microsoft. And then I, you know, then I went on to other board positions. I started with a company called Malwarebytes, which many of you may know. It's a very successful PC, uh, Windows and uh, Mac um, endpoint security solution, antivirus, anti-malware. I uh, started with them. I started with the CEO actually uh, much earlier on, and then ultimately joined the board. Uh, the company's done just incredibly well. Um, and then another company called Nobi for where I came in as a board member when the company was, you know, fairly small and has now uh, raised nearly $400 million uh, from uh, from a variety of investors, including Goldman Sachs and KKR. That is a company that I've actually recently transitioned to a board of advisor role. So, you know, and I've had, I've had other board roles as well, um, uh, you know, including being a board member of a company called Stop Badware, which was a project that was started off as a joint effort between the Berkman Center at Harvard and Google to make the internet safer. Um, that was really interesting because, uh, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, how, how do you, uh, you know, kind of guide an organization in protecting users on the internet. Uh, and then um, in addition to that, I, I'm chairman of a Swedish based company that does uh, 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 SaaS, a SaaS, a SaaS Swedish company that does online demos and online uh, test drives. Uh, for software companies. So if a software company wanted to demo their software, they could go to, to this company, Runaware, and get it done for them. Um, so, you know, I've seen this through a, a bunch of different um, lenses. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, typically boards are constituted, uh, you know, as a, uh, it, it kind of depends on the company, but usually when you're raising outside capital, the investor or the lead investor will want to have a board seat. And then there may be a negotiation to have an independent board member who can be nominated by, um, you know, uh, agreed upon by the investor or the uh, and, and management or management can have a say. It, it kind of depends on what's negotiated. But generally, you have in a company that's raised money, you know, you have maybe uh, the CEO as a board seat. Then you may have a you know a couple of independent board members, uh, and then a. a, a board members that are appointed by one or two board members that are appointed by the investors. Again, it depends on how much money the companies raise. It's not a, like a formulaic thing, but the key of a good board is you're trying to, you're, re you're really acting as a fiduciary. And in that regard, uh, you know, the definition of a fiduciary is somebody who has responsibility for the best interests of another party. Um, and so in that regard, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generally representing the common investors. And so I'm, you know, I'm helping the company, I'm guiding the company, but I'm also trying to make sure that the common investors are protected as best as, as possible, that there's, uh, you know, that, that there's general, like, for example, that the, the structure of a new source of funding would not be detrimental to, to the existing uh, Shareholders, so there's there's a little bit more than just kind of sitting around a, a table and 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 you know uh, pondering the great mysteries and and you know the future of a company. You know there's 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 a little bit of a, a responsibility level too to make sure that 
um, you know, the, 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 it, the, that the shareholders are protected. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, um, there's obviously, it's very different uh, being a board member than it is being, for example, a member of a board of advisors. And this is sometimes confused. Um, I'm, so I'm a board of advisors of you know, several companies and um, I, you know, in that context, I provide guidance, I provide assistance to these companies, but I'm not liable and I'm not a fiduciary. When you become a board member, you're actually, you have liability. Um, so you do want to have, you know, directors and officers insurance and you do have that, uh, that uh, responsibility level. That's really interesting. So let's start by from the very beginning, which is the creation of the board. So as a start founder, when you file your documents, uh, they, you always have to you know, state who is on your board. And usually when you just file your documents, you just put yourself on the board, you know, as a uh, pretty much all the board sits are yours. <laughs> so mm -hmm. my question is, Alex, what is the time that a startup should form an actual board? for their company? Uh, a lot of it depends on the, on, on the sort of the, the structure of the startup itself. So for example, you know, I was involved many years ago with a company that uh, I was the first outside board member and it was really just the CEO and he had started the original company and there was really no board. You know, he just ran the company and had his own business. And sure there was maybe technically in the uh, articles of incorporation and in the corporate documents, there may have been quote a board, but it really wasn't. So it's really just, you know, just him. And then ultimately when he, uh, he decided to create a board um, and, and I was, the, I was the first outside board member. Um, so that was, that was, that was no before, um, which is, you know, again, a comp the company that's just done really well. Um, so, in another example, though, you can have uh, maybe three three founders. They get together. They you know they they've been working at some company. They decide they're going to you know create the future you know great technology stack, and they get together and they start a company and they go well gee uh, we're each going to have you know a board and uh, a board seat. We're each going to have you know equal voting rights on the board, um, and that that is that is you know that's 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 something workable, but everything changes when you raise money. So you know, really, uh, that's the dynamic that is that is the most critical. When you bring in outside capital, your outside investors are going to want to have representation on the board. And and the, the key thing to understand is that you could have effective control of a company by controlling the board. Uh, so, and it's, so it's important to understand what your board constitution is. Uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of a delicate thing because you, you, you know, let, let's say you may own a majority shares of the company. You may have founded the company. You may be, you know, the original rock star. I mean, look at Steve jobs, right? He was the founder of Apple. Well, you know, he was kicked out by the board. Um, no, I mean, the dynamics of that situation are kind of different than what I'm talking about, but the point <laughs> is, <laughs> the point is, you know, uh, you, you, founders get fired. It happens all the time. I'm actually advising a company right now where the founder was fired by the board and the founder has significant equity in the company, um, you know, and, and uh, maybe not, he didn't have a majority, but he had, you know, he had a significant amount of stock, but it didn't matter. I mean, the, the, the investors said, you know what, we want to, we want to change out the game and, we want to bring in a professional CEO and, uh, and they, and they fired him. Um, so, um, 
it's 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 really you know you have to think about these dynamics and i don't want to scare people and say oh the, you know you're gonna you, you're gonna set up a board you're gonna get fired i don't want to scare people about that because it's not really the case i mean i've worked on so many boards and it's just been so look i mean i i was on a board of one company that you know i don't think they ever really ever made their quarter never made their quarterly numbers but the the, the investors were so supportive of management were so good to work with and understood the challenges of management that you know the CEO was the CEO wasn't fired and frankly the CEO probably said look if you got if if you find somebody better I'm happy to you know step aside but you know they they didn't do that to him and they they kept him on board but there is a balance of power mechanism you have to understand in the board because effective control of the board is effective control of uh, can be effective control of the company and so. I, I don't want to like, you know, make everybody think about some, you know, dramatic TV show or something like that, that, you know, fights on the board. It's never like that. It's usually pretty quiet. Uh, but let's think about all the CEOs that have been, that have been fired by their boards. Um, you know, there was the, of course, Steve, Steve Jobs, famous story, but let's talk about the founder of Jet, um, Jet Blue. He was fired by his board. Uh, let's think of the founder of Men's Warehouse. He was fired by his board. These were, these were men that were very critical to the start of their company. And frankly, you know, it's arguable that they were, that, that firing these, 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 these individuals did not ha have a good effect on the company long-term or wasn't the right idea, but it happens. So as a founder, you want to be smart about how you constitute your board and make sure there's a balance of power within the board and make sure that your independence, um, you know, every every board member is a fiduciary, and I don't want to say that you want to, like, create your own little mafia organization at the board level, because if you're getting the right board members, they're very serious about fiduciary responsibility. Um, but you want to be thoughtful as to, you know, um, as to how you, how you structure your board. Right. So here, I think it's time for us to talk about the board structuring. So how does that work? So from my knowledge, the new board members appear when the investor comes in and they want to have some sort of control over the company. And they say, you know, we invest 500K at, I know, 10 million valuation, but we also get a seat on the board, right? How else can a board member appear and how does this process work in general? Yeah, it does not, it absolutely does not require uh, outside capital to, to constitute a board. It does not. Um, you can say, you know, Constantine, let's say you start a company tomorrow and you, you know, let's say you, you, you create a board and you go, you know what, I want to have, um, I want to have this, this, this individual I know who's really good at, at corporate strategy, but maybe I can't get him to be part of my company, but maybe he'll join me on the board and, you know, he can help me, um, do this, you know, so there's, 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 um, a, a, there's a decision that can be made by the entrepreneur to constitute a board. I mean, you're, it typically, yeah, it, it, it or often it does come with money, but it doesn't have to. I mean, you can have a private company that's never raised a dime of outside capital that can have a board of directors. Um, but one thing to think about with a board is what is the value you're getting out of your board members, right? So I'm typically, um, I'm probably kind of categorized as more of a strategic and go-to-market type of board member, right? Mm -hmm. Um there are other board members, um, you know, I'm, uh, I've been involved in a couple of companies where we brought in outside board members who have been just almost pure play 
chief marketing officers to help out uh, on you know company marketing. Um, finance is a very big issue. You know, especially if you're looking to go public, you have to have um, a you have to have a finance expert on the board to run the audit committee, uh, which is it's a, it's a requirement uh, as being a public company. So in, in that position, you have to have a qualified financial expert who's somebody who's just a, a real finance person, somebody who's been a CFO, a very qualified person in that area. So, but the thing is, is that, you know, use the opportunity to get people who could help you along the way. I mean, I, I get such, the, the board positions I hate are the ones where I don't feel I can, that I'm not used, right? I'm mm -hmm. not used to, to, to help the company. The ones I love are the ones where, you know, I'm talking um, to other members of management and the CEO, and we're really helping the business and doing what we can to help. Um, you know, board members are typically more assistive than, than controlling. We don't, you know, we don't control the company, uh, except as a group. If, you know, a group vote can control the company, but individually, we don't control anything. We're, we're just, we're, we're there to protect the interest of our, of, our, of, our, of our shareholders. But we do can bring a lot. And I like the idea of having a great board, great board members. And this goes for every great company that's been out there, whether it's Apple, whether it's eBay, whether it's Twitter, whether it's you know Facebook, any one of the great companies will often have a board dynamic where there's a, a, a board member or board members who can be the sounding board for the CEO, who can be with the CEO when things are, are bad or desperate or, or good, celebrate the highlights, but also, you know, uh, be a, a comforting shoulder during the, during the tough times, which, you know, there's inevitably going to be a tough time. So there's a, there's an aspect of, I mean, the point I'm getting, there's an aspect of constituting a board, which is, which is more than just, Hey, I got a guy who can be a board member. You know, you're always going to get the investors going to put their investor and hopefully you don't, have asshole investors. So then you're, you're, you don't <laughs> really, that's okay. So let's just put that out of the way. Let's hope you don't have asshole investors, you know, get nice investors, get good investors, get helpful investors, but also your board members do the same thing. And, and by the way, I'll just add, I'll finish off with one last comment um, that in all cases, whether you're getting investment or whether you're getting a board member, do your, do your due diligence, you get reference calls, mm -hmm. dig in, dig in, do reference calls. Um, you, you, you want, you, you, you want a friendly collegiate board. People are, you know, working together. You don't want a board full of screaming assholes and, and, and that's, that's <laughs> not, it's not fun. Right, right, right. That's actually very true. Uh, so just want to clarify here. It sounds like a lot of what a board does is that, you know, they just give you advice, right? So what's the difference? What's the major? Why not putting people who you put on your board as advisors? So, you know, just to protect yourself from being kicked out of your own company. Yeah, well, so the I mean, many, many, many startups have a quote, you know, advisors, board of advisors, many startups. Um, and that's very common. And that's a very I think it's a smart thing to do. I mean, you can, you know, for example, you can get a slice of my time by giving me a small amount of equity and giving me, making me an advisor. Right. And, and you can actually, you know, you can get access to, you know, networks and, and my, my advice and my, my, my knowledge. That's great. But you're going to need to have you, 
So first of all, um, you're going to need to have a board if you raise money. You just it's going to have to happen. So um, you don't really have to have a board when you when you when you uh, haven't raised capital. But it's there's um, and I, I guess that you know there's there's other perspectives on this that are probably better than mine. But I think there's a, um, you know, I worked for private company that had a board, but it was really just a couple of guys and they would, you know, maybe meet every once in a while. Um, but there's, there's, there's one thing about a board. So, I mean, I'm not totally answering your question just yet, but there's one thing about a board, which is kind of having a, a history and a pattern to the company. Um, you, you have, you know, you have minutes, let's say you have a quarterly meeting, you have minutes, you go through the, you, you, of, of, of the prior meeting, you approve those minutes. Then you get a picture of what the financial status of the company is. And then everybody decides, you know, are we going in the right direction? It can be a collaborative effort. Um, and I think, I think boards, if, even if you don't raise money, boards are a bit of a check on a founder to just kind of keep his or her mind on the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you got to present for a board meeting, yeah, you start to think about, well, okay, here's our strategy. Here's how things are gone. Here's where we're going. Um, you know, here's the, here's the, some of the, some of the issues and problems we're having. Those, I think that's, that's a healthy thing. But the answer simply is you generally don't need to have a board if you're a private company and you'll, you'll probably only do it when you raise money. Um, but I don't know if it's that necessarily a bad idea to have a board, even if you're just a private company, but you know, um, you don't have to go crazy about it and have like <laughs> huge boards and all this stuff. It could be, it could be, it could be just a few people. There's no rules on how big a board has to be. <laughs> right. There are actually very few rules in the startup world. So mm -hmm. enjoy it. Have fun there. <laughs> Coming yeah. up with your own strategies. So uh, one more question is about the board member removal. So I've just released recently released an episode on uh, uh, creating advisory boards and uh, my speaker mentioned that you know one of the very important provisions is that you can you should include a provision in the contract with an advisor member that you can remove them with no real notice so like you can just say you know he's gone or she's gone and that's it they're gone how can that be done with a board member should should there be some voting to remove a board member should that be in the contract or how how does that part work uh, yeah. I mean, typically there's, there's a voting mechanism to move a board member out. I mean, I think that can be negotiated, um, as part of, as part of the agreement that, you know, you serve at the pleasure of the board. Uh, I, I think, um, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think that has to be anything very complicated. I think you can, you can have the, uh, the board documents define this as an, an at-will arrangement that can be, you know, uh, and again, that's actually, that's actually not something I've thought much about, but, uh, it's, it's a good question, <laughs> but, you know, I'd have to go back and look at some of my board agreements. You know, you don't go into a board position expecting to, uh, to exit it, but, you know, look, I mean, I've, I've exited boards and it's been usually just, a, it, it makes more sense. Um, you know, I, um, I was a member of a board many years ago, uh, and they were going in a strategic direction, which I really didn't agree with. Uh, they were going to merge their company with a penny stock company as part of a reverse merger. And uh, I was on the board of this company, this is 20 years ago, I don't know, 18 years ago, something like that. And I, I, this, this is not comfortable for me. And 
And uh, we just kind of said, okay, guys, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. This is not, uh, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> and you know, the, the funny thing is, is it turned out to actually work out just fine. It worked out just fine for them. But I mean, they were, you know, they were of the opinion, like, look, if you're not going to fully support this, we don't really want you to be a continuing part of this. And I said, you're right. I, I don't support this. I don't think we should be merging with a penny stock company. That was a previously a, a mining company, oh, yeah. uh, you know, but you know, the funny, the funny thing is, is that I was very, um, I was very, very much objecting to it, but you know, in the end, it, the funny thing is it actually worked out well for them. Um, bizarrely, um, they, you know, there's a, there, there are stories where these things can work. Um, but I just thought at the time it wasn't. So, you know, there's, there's, there's points where you go, you know what? Um, it's, it's just, it makes more sense to transition. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, it, I think these things can be, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's due to a vote. Maybe it's on the, on the original papers. I, I don't have a good answer for you. That's still a good answer. Um, so yeah, definitely just look, look through the documents or ask your lawyer because it's, it's sometimes it's really complex and I would highly recommend people to understand that part. And I personally don't understand that part either, you know, but I don't have a company, so I don't really need to. So I have a good excuse. Uh, but here, let's move on to... But, but, but I, you know, just, just constantly, I just want to just mention one thing. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, it really doesn't. It, it, yep. it can be yep. as, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of the just common sense. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's, yeah. But sometimes legal can be very, very complex, honestly. Yeah. unnecessarily complex okay. so still still figure it out and maybe maybe you're lucky and it's really easy to understand uh, but here let's move on and talk about your alex personal exit so in 2016 one of your companies was acquired uh and i believe it was a pretty fast acquisition so it was like less than two years since you've started a company to an acquisition can you tell us a little bit more on that process yeah, I mean, I've been through a number of acquisitions, and I can talk about any one of them. I mean, the one that happened in 2016, and you're referencing, is I started a company in the DevOps space. Uh, boy, I'm going to probably kill and lose half your podcast staff if I get into this, because it's really technically very boring. <laughs> but um, let's just say that it was involved in, in what's the, the space known as Docker containerization, and we were the first monitoring solution for that space. Um, the first real, you know, kind of... Uh, independent company doing monitoring is actually just exclusively monitoring Docker containers as a commercial product. The first or one of the first, we were very early. Um, and, you know, we developed the product and we went into beta and then um, we had a lot of conversations with various companies. And at one point I'd, I'd had, uh, I'd had some conversations with a local company that then got acquired, then wanted to, wanted to buy, um, Maros, but then had to go was going through their own financing and then got acquired by DXC. So ultimately, it was, <laughs> you know. So then ultimately, sure, I get to put DXC on the name. But I think I don't actually remember exactly if they if they bought me before or after the DXC. I think they bought me after the DXC acquisition. So you know, it was kind of one of those one one of those kind of like wait wait who who's your owner now? What's what's happening? But you know, um, listen, I'll, I'll take it. They ended up acquiring the technology, and I actually uh, I was able to keep the uh, the corporation. Um, you know, that that's not what I would refer to as a, you know, one of my great uh, deals. I mean, I've had deals that have been, you know, look, you have in this business, uh, you have, and I'm sorry if I'm using a baseball analogy and, and you know, your audience is not, for Americans, baseball fans will understand this, but um, maybe I'll, I'll try to use a different analogy, but, you know, there's a base hit and then there's a home run, right? So you can, you can get, um you know, massive exit or really strong exit that might give you enough money to say, you know, 
screw you to the world and take your money and go off and sail the sail in your yacht. You can have that kind of thing, or you can just have um, smaller uh, uh, hits. You know, you can have uh, the ones that are are make are definitely build continue to to build your personal wealth, but aren't you know um, the money that's going to be you know the, the you're going to buy your own private island. So, you know, there's been throughout my career, there's been a mix of those and some, you know, sometimes you make a really great hit and sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's like, okay, well, you know, that was, that was worth my time or maybe that was not totally worth my time, but it was a good lesson and I made some money along the way. Um, I think that's, that's, that's important to understand. It doesn't always have to be, you know, like, uh, it, 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 it is what it is. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I was, after sort of around the same time as Maris, I was actually recruited to to, um, to be a, a the COO of an automotive tech company that was doing a roughly around seventy million in top line revenue, and you know really company going through a transition phase, tremendous transition phase, um, and dealing with internal issues of of process and automation and that infrastructure, that kind of stuff. So we did a lot of, you know, I think we did a lot of good work, got the company in a great position, you know, with the other members of the team and ultimately got an exit, um, you know, last year, uh, you know, pretty well-sized exit. And so, you know, that was, that was a company called, called Autoloop, which got us sold to um, Affinitive and became, you know, one of the leading automotive tech companies uh, out there with over 200 million in revenue, you know, over 800 employees. Of course, this is back when it was, uh, back when we did the deal. Um, yeah, another exit, uh, if you, you know, if we want to just kind of, just kind of skate over some exits. Um, yep. so, you know, ex these things happen, um, in interesting ways. So I, back in the nineties, late nineties, I was, uh, I ran worldwide marketing for a company called Quarterdeck, which was a, you know, uh, a pretty well-sized public company. Quarterdeck is not really known these days. Part of the company, uh, uh, Part of the technology got acquired by uh, Symantec. Actually, the company did get acquired by Symantec, but one of our spinoffs was a company called WebEx. Uh, so, you know, it's, it was, which is actually funny enough, what we're using right now for this podcast. Um, so okay. at the time, you know, Quarterdeck was, I don't know, I don't remember the numbers, $150, $200 million company. Um, and, but I was, I was really, I'd been there six and a half years. I'd had an incredible run. I, I started the company pre-IPO, went through the IPO, which is, you know, all this stuff's really interesting. Um, you know, was an executive officer of a, of a, of a well-sized, well-known public company as some really cool benefits to that. It's a lot of fun, but yeah, I wanted to go back into smaller companies. So a little company had reached out to me, um, you know, husband and wife team, and they, they had a, some incredible technology and I joined up with them and took part of the company, you know, piece of equity of the company. And we built something, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and we got acquired after two and a half years, we were on about, you know, from, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue to an $8 million run rate, two and a half years, we got acquired by OnTrack Data. So that that acquisition occurred as a, um, a majority, as I remember, I have to remember, my gosh, I think it was, uh, stock, it was a stock and cash deal, as I remember, well, I'm really losing it. Um, so that was my first kind of like, wow, okay, that was a good exit, that was cool. <laughs> You know, and uh, that's that was that was a lot of fun. And then you know, later I went to a company um, called Sunbelt Software, which was a in two thousand two, which was a was a reseller VAR of other companies' 
products, but had built a really good marketing channel. And uh, I said, you know, guys, you've got a really good marketing channel, but you just don't have your own products. Why don't you build your own products and sell it into this channel? And uh, they agreed. So I came on originally as president of the software business and then ultimately became CEO. Uh, that business was great. I mean, we built that business, um, you know, the first... Uh, so for the software side of the business, uh, I started in like middle of 2002. We closed the year out with uh, just about a million dollars in sales. And then roughly next year was about four and a half million in sales. Next year was close to 8 million in sales, then 12 million in sales, then 12 million in sales and 60 million and 25, 24 million and 35 million. So it was a great growth run. Um, and without, um, without getting outside investors, just kind of doing it on your own. And that was a, that was another that was a great exit. We uh, we sold to Insight Venture Partners, which was a, a investment firm in, in New York. Which then they uh, as part of that they merged us with a company called GFI. So I became one of GFI's executives. So this you know anyway I don't want to bore everybody with my long story of my career, but <laughs> um, you know there's just a lot of kind of interesting you know for me I, it's I'm just it's it's I'm like a shark I'm always moving right so uh, <laughs> if you don't if you don't keep moving you sink. Uh, and so, and I'm, I'm, uh, after leaving, um, GFI, um, I started doing a lot of independent work and this is where I kind of got into this board level work and advisory work. And it's a lot of fun because you can, you can be out there and do interesting things and be involved in interesting technologies, but you also have a little bit more freedom to make your own schedule. Um, now that being said, I'll probably get dragged into running a company again, but for now, this is a, this is, this is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That's very true. So now that you've told us about a bunch of successes in your career, let's quickly touch on to some misfortune, unfortunate reasons specifically. So looking back at all your career, you know, uh, what was the biggest mistake that you've done, especially from the fundraising point of view? Well, I, I haven't been a big fundraising CEO, frankly. I mean, yes, I, I've raised money for companies. Um, Actually, I mean, I had just, actually, I, would not even, I don't even want to mislead you. I think I've probably been in only one company or actually had to raise outside capital. I actually have, I'm not one of, I'm not a guy who's actually had to go out and raise a lot of capital. I typically work out of the ways to get the capital. I know that sounds uh, strange. Um, and there's, I can, there's a whole discussion I can have about that and, and why that is. And, and if it's a good idea or a bad idea, that's probably a whole separate podcast. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I think probably the big, you know, like we've had successes and failures. Um, I think I'm a huge believer in, in, in research and, and being data informed. Uh, and by the way, I say that, I say the word data informed very carefully. I don't really believe in being data driven. I believe in being data informed. I think if you're too data driven, you can, you can miss things. I mean, so use the data you have to think strategically and make good decisions. Um, but if you're just like a purely data-driven person, you may actually miss a few things. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit of philosophy there. So I do a lot of research and, 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 and frankly, that's how I cut, I reduce my risk is I do a lot of research. So one of the major product failings um, was at this company, MyGenix, back in the late nineties, we came out with, it's probably one of the best products I've ever been involved in, in like in my life, right? That's I say that it's kind of surprising for me to even say that, but I've been involved in some pretty cool products. This was a really, really cool product. And what it what it would do is it would um, you know, this is a very common feature now uh in, in Windows, but back then this wasn't available. 
you could right click on any folder in Windows and let's say all your documents or whatever, and you could right click on it and turn it into a compressed folder and it would act like a normal folder, but it was compressed. So you would get immediate hard drive savings. Um, it was such a cool technology. I mean, immediate savings. You could go through and, you know, depending on how your data was structured, um, you could, you know, you could get a, I don't know, 30, 40, 50% savings on your hard drive. And this was a big deal. When you think about the nineties, hard drives were expensive, but my biggest mistake was I didn't, I, I fell in love with the technology, but I didn't fully realize that nobody gave a damn because, <laughs> you know, when we started, we started it, hard drives were expensive. You know, we kind of started the idea, hard drives are still kind of expensive, but they were falling as we were doing it. And we still went out and raised and released the product and, oh, damn it. You know, we were, we were selling into a market where people were like, well, I don't care. I can just go buy a cheap hard drive. Right. So you gotta, you know, yeah, it was really the coolest thing I've ever done. And, and, uh, you know, my, my wife will tell you, I mean, I, cause I had been so used to doing well and, and I thought I really knew how to do these things and to have like the utter shock of like, I, I can't sell it. It doesn't sell. I mean, you know, we ended up by making money off of it. We had some tricks. We partnered with AOL actually of all people back then. And we sold a bunch of product and we actually made money off it, but but it was very, um, very disconcerting. So I think, you know, really that's, that's my, my first mantra is, you know, know what the hell you're getting into, know your market, know your customer, understand your customer, talk to people, just for God's sakes, talk to, even if you just cheap survey monkey review uh, surveys, or just, just talk to people because if it's all in your own head. You're going to be in for a surprise. Well, one of the recent episodes on fundraising radio is called talk to customers, damn it. So yes, I'm hundred percent on your side here. And I think that's, that's just a great story. I love it. Even though it's a little bit sad, but on this a little bit sad note, let's move on to the last question of today's episode, which is going to be a call to action. So Alex, what's the one thing you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? <laughs> you know, I saw this in your email that you sent to sent to me. Hey, Alex, what would you say is the one thing? And I, I looked at it <laughs> and I thought about it and I still don't have an answer. I think <laughs> I, 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 I tell you what, and I, I, I'm going to this is the one thing I'm seeing with every startup I'm working with or not every startup. That's not true. But with a, I'm certainly seeing this as a pattern is founder has a great idea, but doesn't necessarily, it has a product in search of a market. And I see this where you have a company might be digging for gold, literally three inches away from the gold mine. They're just three inches away. If they just move three inches, they'll be on the gold mine, but they're not there. So they're digging into dirt. And that comes back to really know your customer. I'm, I was working with a company just recently. I didn't come on as an advisor. And this is, this was the, one of the coolest technologies I'd ever seen. It's like, oh my God, this is incredible. But I went, you know, this is not sellable. And they were so shocked. <laughs> it was so shy. Like, you, you can't, I, I, you know, I'm a guy who, you know, comes in and, and what I do is I get shit sold and marketed. I know how to get products sold, right? So you've got a technology, I can get it out there and I can get it sold. And I've been looking at this thing, I'm like, I, I don't know how to sell this thing. And so, you know, you, your takeaway is look at your products, look at the service. I mean, it's going to be a product or service. And are you, are you matching us? Is there a product market fit? Are you matching us to what your customers need and want? And, you know, sometimes you could say, well, you know, it may not be for uh, the large enterprise, but maybe it's a product that I can sell to small businesses. 
there can be a change in your strategy, but that's really my strongest advice is always make sure that you're aligned with what your customers want and, and really, really make sure of that. And I know it sounds corny, but the biggest, most epic failures I've ever seen are because there's a mismatch and a misunderstanding. You come up with a product in search of a market versus, you know, finding the market and understanding what that market needs and then delivering it. Um, and yes, there's always a point where you're going to be a little smarter than everyone else. And you're going to have a little bit of genius in it. And, and you might, you know, see ahead into the future. Steve Jobs would, you know, mostly ignored surveys. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, listen, I'm not Steve Jobs and I want to know, I mean, I've learned my lessons. I've had my, I've had my pains and um, I want to, uh, damn it. I want to know if my products is, is, is something that, is matching to what the customers uh, really are going to use. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why are you making this? You're yeah. not making it for any other reason for a customer to use it. So make sure the customer actually wants it. <laughs> right. That's that's just hundred percent perfect advice. And here I would like to wrap up the episode, but I remembered that I forgot to ask you one standard question that I ask every single founder with an exit on my podcast. So Alex, do you do any? angel investments or advisory work. So I know that you're on a multiple boards of the startups, but do you do advisory work? Yeah. 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 No, if anybody wants to connect up with me about potential advisory work, just, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, um, connect up with me and, you know, I'm, I'm my, my, as they say, my dance card is very full, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm many times I will just take a call or just take an email. I'm a very friendly person. I like to help people. I love to see companies succeed. And uh, so, you know, to that degree that I can give an assistance, I'm more than happy to. And what about angel investments? It depends. I mean, I, I, I will do angel investments if the situation's right. I typically would come in on an angel investment. I would typically come in as a syndicate with other other angel investors, but I'm I'm not opposed to it. I mean, it depends on the situation. Generally, it would be part of an angel group or angel syndicate. Perfect. So this is for you, my listeners. If you feel like your product, Alex, is going to like it, if you think you're a good fit, I'll make sure to leave links in the description of this episode so that you can reach out to Alex later on. And I'll also leave a few other links that were mentioned in the episode today. So my call to action is going to be go there, check out the links that I'm going to leave. And as usually, have a good day.